podcast all about colour. My name is Helen Disley and I'll be chatting today with Hugh Owens and Steve Westland. Okay, so this week we're talking about the colour green. And um, I want to start talking about pigments. Uh, one of the earliest green pigments um, that has been used is, is malachite, which is a naturally occurring mineral. And it turns out that this was this was used um, certainly about 4,000, maybe 5,000 years ago. But it was there was a massive mine in North Wales. So this is at a place called Landudno. Now you're from... Are you from Wales, Hugh? Because you've got a very Welsh-sounding name. Hugh. Well, both my parents are uh, we're definitely Welsh, yeah. So can you pronounce Landudno better than me? Landudno, probably. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, it's pronounced with a C, isn't it? But, um, yeah, Landudno, I call it. <laughs> um, and, and there they've got um, a, a very large hill called the Great Orm. And in 1987, they were doing some development work on it. And they discovered an underground series of tunnels and mines. And when they excavated it, and they haven't excavated all of it yet, but when they excavated lots of it, they discovered that it was actually the world's largest prehistoric mine. Wow. Any, anywhere in the world. And it was basically there for at least... 4,000 years doing this and what they were mining was was copper and, and copper minerals and one of the things that they were finding was malachite so it was one of the sources from this pigment um, malachite was actually North Wales and the other really ancient pigment I've come across is um, the aptly named ancient uh, green earth which is just a sort of um, naturally occurring mineral um, in the ground. Actually, not very green. It's very um, weakly green coloured. Um, but it was used, I mean, they, they found it, for example, on the walls in uh, Pompeii. So when was that? Vesuvius. It's about 2,000 years ago, wasn't it? Vesuvius erupted. So that probably means they were using it um, on the walls, probably as a egg, egg tempera. Um, frescoes on the walls probably at least two to three thousand years ago um, do either of you guys have any other um, old ancient green pigments to talk about um, the only one I can think of I'm not, unless it's the same as what you just mentioned is verdigris which the Romans used where they I think they soaked copper plates in wine and it produces sort of green colour that we 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 ha we see now. If any kind of copper sort of uh, plant pots and things will eventually get this sort of verdigris colour, um, and I think it was used by Romans and also medieval monks used that in um, uh, illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's 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 not the same as malachite. I think malachite's a mineral, mm. whereas I think verdigris is like a, an oxide of copper. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's probably a little bit more complicated than just simply copper oxide, but it's an oxide of copper. Um, anything for you, Hugh, on the old ancient mineral front? <laughs> Expert. Yes. 
So I, I've read that green, I mean, we talked last week, by the way, about some of the yellow pigments being poisonous, but I think green has the reputation as being the most poisonous of all the pigments. And, and a lot of this is to do with, um, uh, I think I think it's been at Sheila's green. It could be Sheila's green, but I think it's Sheila's green, yeah. which was a Sheila was a, a a Swedish chemist in seventeen seventy five. He made um, a green pigment, and the ingredients were copper sulfate, sodium carbonate, and arsenious or arsenious oxide. That should already be making people feel nervous because <laughs> that sounds very much like arsenic, which of course it was, and apparently one of the main ingredients of this green pigment was copper arsenide and that's one of the deadliest compounds ever discovered and yet this new green pigment which is a really bright green could be made very cheaply was used on children's toys on paints on wallpaper it was even used for sweets or or candy as the americans call it Yet it was incredibly poisonous, um, causing all sorts of problems, in, including cancer. And some people actually say it even killed Napoleon. Because apparently after he lost um, his battle with at Waterloo, which of course is a, I'm getting it, it's, like it's a great time to bring in Abba's Waterloo song. <laughs> just, just for you two guys. Uh, after, after that, um, he went into exile, of course, in, in St. Helena in uh, 1815. And he stayed in a room painted with his favourite colour, green. And six years later, he died of stomach cancer. And some people think it's quite possible mm. that this could have been caused by the uh, Sheila's green because apparently when it's used on, on, in wallpaper, for example... Um, and, and it starts to, be, to become a little bit humid and warm, it can give off a, a poisonous gas. And it was replaced eventually by a Paris green in the late 1800s. But that wasn't very much less poisonous than Sheila's green. And Paris green is used extensively by people like Monet, and Shazan. And in fact, some people say it could have even been the cause of Monet going blind. And the thing I find surprising of all of this is when was it banned? When was it finally banned? Do you know? I how? know this. I in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I find that incredible, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's still being used. In the UK, for example, and elsewhere, in the 1940s, in the 1950s. Although even though the current, a lot of current green pigments still have some quite nasty chemicals in them, don't they? It's just still a problem, even with modern modern pigments. A lot of chlorine, base, bromides and things, it's not good. Yeah, I've been doing some work recently with a paint standards organisation where they're looking to reproduce some paint standards, which go back to the 1950s. And the strange thing is that in some cases we can't, we can't make those colours because some of those really bright colours that were in use in the 1950s are now banned 
and the and the modern equivalents just just aren't as good in mm. color terms. You find that quite a lot in the fifteenth century. The devil was was um, depicted as being green. No, that's right. So um, if we think about all of the um, sort of the negative associations of green, you've got things like you know the the wicked, you know the the um, musical based on. Um, yeah. What's it called? Um, Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. So there was a there was actually a a painting um, by Michael Patcher in the fourteen seventies. I think that's the one you're talking about, Hugh. And he depicted the devil dressed entirely in green. And apparently, uh, Ch- Chaucer also depicted the devil in green in his his Friar's Tale. And I actually found a a, a paper. A very nicely named paper. It's called "Why the Devil Wears Green," uh, written in nineteen fifty-four um, in Modern Language Notes, and it suggested that the devil was represented as green in in Chaucer's story, and then probably also in in Michael Patch's um, painting to connect him to the to the Celtic otherworld, and. This is a mythical realm where gods lived, Celtic gods. Because we hear a lot about the Norse gods, don't we, and the, and the Greek gods. Yeah. I, I don't know very much about the Celtic gods, but they lived in the, in the Celtic otherworld. Possibly undead people live there too, or, or, or indeed live there too, if, if, if it exists. Um, and the same place, apparently, is called Avalon, in legends about King Arthur and is a, an island called Avalon in, in some of the Marvel Universe stuff that goes on. So it, it makes me think I'd quite like to read more about the, 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 the Celtic uh, mythology and the, and the Celtic gods. I don't know very much about it. Um, but yeah, the, so then you have to start saying, well, how did the colour green become associated with with the Celts anyway, and with Ireland um, in particular. Um, so we're all, I mean, nobody can fail to notice the sort of the amount of green that you see on St. Patrick's Day. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all green, isn't it? And, and, and the shamrocks and everything. Um, yeah. yeah. It turns out that St. Patrick used a shamrock to teach the Irish about the Trinity. This is about the 5th century. But interestingly, originally, St. Patrick was associated with the colour blue. And his order, the Order of St. Patrick, there was actually a colour they wore called St. Patrick's blue. Later, he became associated with green. And from what I can make out, this is probably connected with the Emerald Isle. So, you know, it was green became associated with Ireland at some point and then became associated with St. Patrick. There was actually, the, the earliest reference I found, funnily enough, um, was a, a, a poem um, in 1795 by William Drennan. And it had this, these two lines, the cause it is good and the men they are true and the green shall outlive both the orange and the blue. The orange, of course, are the Protestants, and the blue 
of yeah. the Roman Catholics. So um, I, I still got a few pieces to knit together there because the the earliest reference I can find to the Emerald Isle is that is that poem by William Drennan. Um, and yet, obviously, um, the painting Hugh referred to predates that, um, and, and Chaucer clearly predates that. So it's it's still not entirely clear to me when and exactly when and exactly exactly how green became so associated with with Ireland with Celtic mythology. Because the, there's also the the green man, isn't there, as a sort of a mythical figure. He's he's not. A, a, not evil, but not, he's not nice. He's not a nice character. I don't, I don't know if that's related in some way to the, the devil. And that. You're not talking about the, the Green Lantern, are you? That's a Marvel thing. You, you talk, <laughs> no, no. That's the only thing I know. What, what, what's this Green Man thing, Helen? But there's a, it's a lot of sort of, a lot of ancient culture about the Green Man. I don't know if it goes back to medieval times, but certainly two, three hundred years going back, uh, he's this sort of, figure in, in 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 carvings on churches and things that you'll see but it's also associated with uh, the horned god you know the pagan um deity so even though there's lots of this is very nature and lots of sort of flowers and uh, wrapped in ivy and things i don't think it's necessarily a, a good i don't think he's nece- necessarily always seen as a wholesome figure which is why I wondered about the devil reference. A bit like a bit like um, Tom Bombadil in Lord of yeah. the Rings. Generally a good <laughs> not, figure, always, but not always, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I think green is is still the national colour of Ireland, though, isn't it? I think all of their sports teams tend to play in in green. It is. It absolutely is. Um, so you know, it's it's, yeah. it's long associated with Ireland. Um, the question is when exactly when and how did it become associated with Ireland? Is I think is the, is the issue. Um, it's also associated with loads of um, Muslim countries. If you look at almost every Muslim country, has green on in their flag. And that's because green is strongly associated with Muhammad. Very very strongly. Yeah. And associated with happiness and fertility in Asia, you know the the, the green man. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not saying it's an Asian construct, but um, it could have links to fertility there also in the in the in the West. Helen. Yeah, I, th- I think I've read somewhere that green had been long uh, associated with with fertility and was once a, a preferred color choice for for wedding gowns up to sort of the 1400s. It's very unlucky colour now, isn't it, for weddings? Yeah. And green is also really strongly associated with the, with the evil and the supernatural. You know, there's that green devil. But a lot of people think some of this is attributed to the Wizard of Oz. You know, it's one of the really iconic films where colour was used. And you, the, sort of the, green, the green Wicked Witch of the... Um, was it the West? The East, I don't remember. There were two of them, wasn't there? East, I think. Yeah, which one? Which one died when the house? Wicked Witch of the East. Is that the one who? Which one died when the house fell on her? Was it the? Yeah, I don't know. Galinda was the good witch of the North. That's so all I can remember. Who was the witch of the South? We never <laughs> met them, did we? We never <laughs> met her. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps for a sequel. Uh, or a novel. There's a novel there for somebody. <laughs> but 
yeah, I think of the witch with the green face, um, whichever one it was, the Wicked Witch. Um, really yeah. iconic. Um, and e- even the even the Emerald City, if it was called that, where um, the wizard lived, was some somewhat um, unwholesome in the end, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know whether you know this story, Helen, because Helen and I are brother and sister, of course. Um, my mother, also Helen's mother, um, told me a story once. She she worked as an usherette in a cinema when she was young. Yeah. And she'd never seen a colour movie. This is in the 1940s. And everyone heard that the movie coming next week was The Wizard of Oz. And the excitement, can you imagine the excitement? The Wizard of Oz is coming. And so she, she remembers the first time it was shown. And if anyone is familiar with the movie, it starts off in Kansas in black and white. Yeah. And she said everybody was squinting at the screen. Cause they, they were used to that sort of sepia type footage you used to get. Sort of this is artificially coloured, all one colour with a wash. They're looking at this black and white footage, thinking, "Is it is it coloured? I, 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 is it I me? thought <laughs> I thought it'd be better than that, you know." And then, is, it, is there a hint of colour in the corner there? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can imagine um, when suddenly they landed in Oz. She opens the door, yeah, isn't and she? it's the, the really bright colours of that of that process in particular was very very colourful. Um, bright, I can still see it now the bright yellow, the yellow brick road, and everything. Can you imagine yeah. the gasps in the in the cinema as everyone? saw for the first time it's actually a really clever trick they did there wasn't it to start it in black and white rather than just straight in with the colour and everyone's like oh it's it's still a movie I really like to watch to be honest Mm. and I I went I think it was last year or a year ago two years ago in Leeds I went to the theatre to see a a play of the Wizard of Oz it was absolutely fantastic Um, though my son was less than impressed um, <laughs> so I, I, I think people these days because there's so much entertainment and they're used to all these colour screens and everything it takes more to um, yeah he basically said to me um, in the words of Shania Twain that don't impress me much <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it I loved it, it was the kids it? It was yeah I suppose that the only thing that we can relate that back to is probably something like Avatar, when Avatar first came out. And it was the first large-scale movie production in in 3D. And I think that really dragged people out because it was so different to their their multimedia experiences at home. Mm. There are some really clever uses of colour in movies. Like, have you seen Pleasantville? It's, it starts off, the whole movie, again, starts off in black and white. And it's a, it's an, a, a, I can't remember the full story of it, but as, as corruption appears and comes into the movie, things start to become coloured gradually during the movie. Yeah, I, I, I teach a module at this time of year, and students have to write an essay about any aspect of colour, actually. And quite a lot of the students are students of media. And some of them choose to write about the use of colour in movies. 
and I always enjoy reading these essays in particular. So there's loads of, um, I think Sin City is another one where, where colour's being used really effectively. But if you if you look at a lot of movies, they they use colour really cleverly um, to mm. to create the scene or the the emotion, um, you know, and um, often use complementary colours side by side really dramatically. I I really enjoy looking at the way that colour's used in. In movies, there was the one with I think Warren Beatty, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was all done in primary colours. It's kind of a gangster type film. Can't remember the name, but a lot of red and green, primarily. Yeah, and there was a very bright green of that character. What was it called? That's us. I see me the ball. The mask. The mask. Yes, that yeah. was also very vivid green, wasn't it? And also mm. playing yeah. the sort of the unpleasant character, wasn't he? The Grinch. The Grinch, he was green. It's strange, isn't it? You have very positive associations with with these colours, but also very negative associations. So it's often a a symbol of sickness. Um, So you'll often see a symbol of health as well. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yeah. You'll you'll see a character having a green face in a in in a cartoon when they're not very well. the one that really bugs me, I have to say, is um, is the green-eyed monster from from Othello. You know the uh, green-eyed monster which doth mock. <laughs> <laughs> now, with, for somebody with green eyes like I have, that's always that's never sat well with me. So I was reading something about green, green eyes that it isn't actually a green pigment that it's some combination of browns and yellows and some refraction of the light, which is really interesting. Special. Well, we, should do so, we should do an episode on, on eye colour. Yeah. The, there's, the, there's quite a lot to it. It is quite complicated. At, at a first approximation, you can say that there are two eye colours. There's blue, which is, caused, which is not caused by a pigment, it's just caused by scattering of the structure within the, 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 uh, the eye. Um, and then there's brown, which is caused by melanin, I guess. Oh, okay. And then various amounts of melanin give you all shades between blue and and um, and brown. But as Hugh says, there's there is more to it, because there mm. are some other there are some other pigments. And I think I think and I think green there may be a contributing factor there. I'm not sure, but it's there are some unusual. Um, pigments sometimes do occur. It isn't just melanin, I don't think. No, you're absolutely right. And there are several different pigments that are at play, but also there's structural colour as well. Mm. So people with grey eyes, that's to do with with the material that makes up the iris. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it is quite an interesting... So, so we can have an episode on just colour of eyes, I think. Or actually, we could you know, we could quite easily, yeah. uh, and the, uh, and again, quite interestingly, it was always thought of in, in quite simple ways, in that the that the eye colour was going to be held on one of the chromosomes. But very recently, they've just come out with a, another fifty genes they've found that are responsible mm. for for eye colour. Mm. Even now. Um, so I remember when I first started studying um, um, uh, in this area with Steve a long time ago <coughs> that a 
according to those theories, it was unlikely, very unlikely for me to have green eyes. But now they've, they've progressed on and it, it mm. does make more sense. So I, I can understand a little bit how, um, I mean, I suppose green, green with envy, the, the idea of green with sickness makes a bit of sense because remember we talked before about um, the, the, the blue, people's blue face when you can't breathe. And if you're feeling sick, you do go a little bit mm. green, don't you? And I can see where that comes from. Do you think that's the root cause of green with envy here, or is there something else? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, the the green thing in health, I think, is supposed to be this build-up of bile in your body. This, this um, yeah, there was green bile, wasn't there? Yeah. There was yellow bile and green bile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, green with envy. I'm I'm not sure where that comes from, but. You can see it's been used through the through the ages. You know, Shakespeare obviously used uh, it, but it's also been traced back. I think even further to the the ancient ancient Greeks used to think um, that that green was associated with with jealousy, mm. and this this idea of the overproduction of bile, as you say, which should turn your skin slightly green. Mm. So this idea, we've mentioned it in many podcasts, that pretty much all the colours have got both positive and negative associations. And it's, it's very much the case with green, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, things like green shoots of recovery, it's pretty obvious where that comes from, I think. Um, it's pretty literal. And um, <clears throat> green behind the ears is probably connected with that green behind the ears it means um you know a little bit undeveloped no, you know naive naive yeah. sort of just youth. A, a, youth, yeah. just a few shoots um <clears throat> yeah one other thing i wanted to mention was the um statue of liberty so it's a really iconic um really iconic building um in fact, if someone said to people, list some famous green buildings, I suspect that might be one of them that they would list, the Statue of Liberty. But as you two probably short know... List, short list of one for me. Yeah, well... <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, to be honest, I'm struggling as well. I, I, I can picture a few places with green domes. That's quite common, wasn't it? On, okay old buildings, but I, I couldn't name any any off the top of my head. Mm. Um, so, yeah, maybe it, maybe it is. Um, so it was originally brown. And I've, I've seen postcards that have been made of it at the time where it's, it's just completely brown. It was made of copper. Um, it was never intended to be green. And it was basically um, opened up in 1886... 20 years later, by 1906, it was already green. So apparently a very complicated reaction that can take a couple of decades with the right sort of chemicals in the air, the right weather conditions and humidity creates various oxides of copper, which are green. And at the time, the the army were in control, the US Army were in control of the Statue of Liberty because it was, of the island, it was 
constructed on, which they controlled. And people said, what should we do about it? Um, it's changed colour. And there was actually a plan to paint it, believe it or not. <laughs> um, paint it back brown, which would have been horrendous, of course. Well, actually, I was going to ask if they made any attempt to you know, revert yeah. it back. Well, or they, clean they, it they up talked or... about it in, in the early 1900s. But when the public found out about it, they were already in love with the, sort of the green statues. They were, <laughs> everyone was really against it. It was like a public backlash um, against the idea of painting it. So it's, it's nev- no attempt has ever actually been made to reverse its colour. And, and I've, I've also read somewhere that this layer of copper oxide has a very good chance of making it last a very long time. There's lots of copper statues have, have, have lasted a very long time down the ages because of this, this process. You know, once, it, once it's formed, it's, it's pretty impervious. It's really interesting. We talk about the blue planet, don't we? And um, I wrote a book chapter recently and um, I put the picture, which is the first picture ever captured of of um, the Earth. Yeah. I think it's called the... That little dot, It's yeah. called the, the blue something. The blue dot, is it? It's not called the blue, the blue Earth. It's called something, the blue something. But it, it basically that, that was a really important image and it's almost kick-started the environmental movement because it made people realise how small and insignificant but also how everything was connected together on this one tiny little, little planet. But the point is, it was... It, it might have been even be called the blue marble, I can't remember. It was, it was basically blue. So we think of the Earth as being blue. And that's because most of the Earth is water, of course. But if you're walking around on the earth, on land, you, you'd probably say green is the colour. I mean, green is the colour yeah. of life, isn't it? And we haven't talked very much about things like the green movement and the green party. But it's fairly, fairly obvious, isn't it, where that association comes from? Absolutely. Though I, I do... Um, it's it's you know it's often associated with being environmentally friendly. Um, the colour green. But if you notice, um, you often get packaging. Um, these days, and that packaging is not green. It's it's normally brown. If you notice, and brown is sort of often the colour of packaging. This it's because it looks almost um, unprocessed. You know, as if it's and it maybe it hasn't had any artificial dye or pigment added to it, but it it has that sort of natural look, doesn't it? Brown for things yeah, like packaging. Yeah. So brown's often used rather than green because because green has this, it does have this really, yeah, this associated with life, but also with with toxicity. If you were you know making a cartoon or something about. Um, a toxic barrel, a toxic waste, what colour would it be? Probably luminous green. Yeah, or a bottle of poison. Or yeah. It's always so green, isn't it? Yeah. It, although it is associated with the Green Movement <clears throat> and the Green Party, it's it's not 
universally a colour that's always associated with, with health or with, with good things. Unlike I, us, I think you, you, yes, we're always indeed. associated with good things. <laughs> it, it is funny. It, it is often associated with wealth and prosperity. You can think of uh, talking about um, the green being money, perhaps in the US, or jade in in um, China, for instance. Mm. Emerald. So that there are, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, uh, we've talked about behaviour before, haven't we? Yeah. And green seems to be a very calming colour. I, I know that there was... Um, they they painted one of the bridges down in London. Was it Blackfriar Bridge? Yeah, they I painted that green, yeah. and they and they saw suicides drop by about a third from that bridge. Wow. Mm. So it, it definitely has a, a very calming influence on us. But I think there are so many different shades of green. That well, that's right. So you, you take the luminous green. That that is that always looks almost toxicity, doesn't it? Yes, you know. But yeah, yellow, yellow green isn't nice. Sick, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so we associate that with with um, with it not being very healthy, as you say. But whereas a vibrant green of new foliage or something like that, and I think we're very good at discerning different levels of green. I think it's one of the the reasons we we tend to use that in things like night vision scopes. They always tend to be green, don't they? You're looking at different levels of, of green. Yeah, and I wonder if that's just thinking back to that. Was it the very? I don't. One of the very first podcasts we did about this, where you mentioned a tribe, Steve, and they were able to differentiate the Himba tribe, a yeah. huge range yeah. of green colour. Um, mm. But yeah, whether it's because of where it is in the spectrum, or, or because there is so much green in our lives. Yeah, we were able to I, differentiate. I remember when I first started my PhD, because um, I often say to people, you know, how many colours are there? And they say things like 16 million. And they say that because their computer can display 16 million colours. And I say, well, actually, when I started, my computer could only generate two, green and black. <laughs> you know, and, and, and by the way, I have one in my lab that can generate, I have one in my lab that can generate a billion. That, that's just about technology. But if I think back, my original computer, they were green. Hugh, Hugh might remember. Um, he's, he's not that old, but he's probably seen old footage of old people doing things with this. You know, the old I think computer. I've seen footage of in you lab, using course. an old computer. Yeah. And, and things like an oscilloscope. It's green, isn't it? And, and then you say yeah. night vision goggles are, are green. And what I don't know is whether that's, you know, if you if you think about those oscilloscopes and those old computer screens, is that because they were the easiest colours they could reproduce? Because certainly in in the early days, for example, you couldn't make things like blue LEDs. You know, they were they came much later. Or, or is it because, or is it they were designed that way because green's right in the middle of the spectrum? So in terms of intensity, it's the colour we're most sensitive to. You know, whereas I think it's more more to do with perceptual levels. Obviously, you've got two overla two overlapping cones 
yeah. in that area, haven't yeah. you? So, so we're much more sensitive in that middle region. If you look yeah. at the very short wavelengths and the very long wavelengths, we're not very sensitive to... I mean, I should clarify, when we talk about sensitivity, you, we're not talking about hue sensitivity, which is whether you can distinguish one hue from another, but intensity sensitivity, which is, you know, how, how bright does it need to be in order to see it? Yeah. We're not very sensitive at the, at, the, at the far ends, at the blue and the red, because you've only got one cone and it's the tail end of it anyway. In the middle of the spectrum, it's where we're most sensitive. So it, it does make sense for things. If you're going to have something which is a little bit coloured, make it green, it just makes sense. It does make sense as well, because, you know, you, if you think about it, if you don't want to um, mess with your uh, nighttime vision, then you'd use something in the red, which is which is well away from that um, that scotopic peak, that that nighttime vision peak. Um, and and you see that, don't you? When we used to look at developing photographs, there'd be a red room. You'd go into a room with a red red mm -hmm. light, and that would retain your your vision then, your mm -hmm. your nighttime vision. So obviously, there's an advantage to having night goggles in that, that central portion of the, the visible spectrum. So the last four weeks we've talked about, I think, red, yellow, blue, and green. And th there's a reason for picking those four colours. If it, There's lots of logos. If you look at logos that use four colours, I'm thinking, for example, of Google and Microsoft. They're two of the most iconic logos look at their colors red yellow green blue and part of the reason for that is there's a sort of um, saliency with those colors because they are the four psychological primaries um, so we can talk about this sort of the additive primaries or you know red green and blue and the subtractive primaries you can argue about whether it's sign magenta and yellow which I would argue or you might argue it's red, yellow, and blue. But then there's the psychological primaries. Um, I think Hugh referred to the work of uh, Herring, I think, the, the psychologist, uh, many years ago. Um, there are four psychological primaries. And these particularly, particular four colours have a very important property in that we say that they're unique. And what that means is, if you can see reds, and some reds are a little bit uh, yellower and some reds are a little bit bluer than others. But there is a red which looks just like a pure red. Um, and there's a yellow that looks like a pure yellow and a green and a blue. But there's no orange that's unique. So, for example, orange always looks like a mixture of red and yellow. And purple always looks like a mixture of, of red and blue. So we, we've tackled these four colours first because they are probably um, more important in some way, red, yellow, green and blue. So next next time, um, if we carry on doing these colours, um, maybe it's going to be white, maybe it's going to be black. Um, who knows? Um, we don't know. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> we'll probably decide um, Thursday morning next week or whenever, <laughs> whenever we record the next podcast. But I hope people enjoyed listening to that. Um, 
stories about green. We haven't got a title yet. The colour of... Um, what colour of what? Life. So one thing I like about you, Helen, is you always think of something nice. Like whenever we talk the colour of <laughs> life, right? So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the... Very positive. I was thinking of the colour of evil. Or the colour of... Um, well, what does that say about you? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? You can have the... Um, Helen's always right. We know that. Yeah, now. of course. Okay, we'll do. We'll do life. It, it it is actually associated with life um, in in many Asian countries, actually. And as you say, it's it's a it is a colour of fertility here. Um, so I think we can get away with it. So okay, thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and um, we'll see you next week with our next colour, whatever that is. Bye for now. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks for listening.